Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, when you study Isaiah 6, there are five steps God wants to take in your life. Listen to these five steps. First, God wants to get your attention. In fact, that's the first thing God wants to do for anybody is simply get folks to focus on him. We get distracted by all kinds of things, and so we need to bring our attention back to God. Number two, God wants to help us understand where we are in relation to him. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the master. We're his servants. He's our father. We're his children. Number three, we need to experience God's conviction for our sins. Now notice, I didn't say condemnation for our sins, but rather conviction for our sins. And that word conviction literally means to convince. In other words, God wants to convince us of our sins. Oftentimes we think we're okay, and in reality we're not, so he has to convince us or convict us of our sins. Number four, he wants to change us. We need to become better people. In many cases, we need to become different people than who we are. And lastly, number five, we need to hear God's call and his appointment of us to a lifelong, unique mission and purpose. Listen into this podcast and be blessed. All right, Isaiah 6, five steps God wants to take in your life. And next Sunday and the following Sunday, we're going to see how Isaiah 6 fits in with Isaiah 61. Did you hear that correctly? Yes, we're going to skip all the way from chapter 6 all the way up to chapter 61 for a couple of Sundays starting next Sunday. But it starts in chapter 6 first. Verse 1, it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw... The Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe to fill the temple. Let me tell you the first thing, the first step that God wants to take in your life. Step number one, God wants to get your attention. He wants to get your attention. What do you pay attention to? I want you to think about what do you wake up first thing in the morning and you think about? What is it? Make a mental note of it right now. What is it that when you lay down at night and you're about to go to sleep, what consumes your thoughts when you're going to sleep at night? What is it that wakes you up in the middle of the night? What are you thinking about in the middle of the night? Let me tell you what, the first step God wants to take in your life, he wants to get your attention. He wants to get your attention. Now, I was in a training Well, let me back up and say this. God realizes that you can only pay attention to one thing at a time. He realizes that. You can only think about one thing at a time. And that's why in Romans 12, 21, we read, it says, Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Did you know that you can take your mind off of something evil and put it onto something good? And as soon as you have your mind on something good, you can't think about evil? You can do it. It doesn't matter how old you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, or how poor you are. You can fixate your mind on something good and replace the evil in your mind. Now, check this out. I was in a training this week or last week at work. And I was informed that there's a part of your mind, there's a part of your mind that determines what you're going to pay attention to. 
It's somewhere in the middle of your of your lobes, all right, of your brain. And <clears throat> this part of your brain decides what you're going to pay attention to. But unfortunately, this part of your brain also can get distracted very easily. It's almost contradictory, all right? But this part of your brain switches to something new every seven milliseconds. Every seven milliseconds, your brain can switch on to something new very quickly and very, very rapidly. Now, you say, how fast is seven milliseconds? Well, everybody blink your eye real quick. All right? You just blinked your eye. You know how long that was? That was 350 milliseconds. Your brain switches, can switch every seven milliseconds. Why do you think we're all ADD? Why do you think we all have attention deficit disorder? All right, the doctors diagnose young children with this. Guess what? We all have it. I have it. You have it. You can't get away from it. Your brain is switching thoughts so quickly that sometimes you, you can't. Have you ever got up from a chair to go do something and you forgot what you went to go do? You know why? It's because your brain's switching back and forth so quickly. Your attention is switching back, back and forth, and you can't stay focused. You know what? Even though it's hard for most of us, we can focus our attention if we'll just try. If we'll just try. That's why it takes nine minutes on average. It takes nine minutes for you and me to even get close to deep thinking. If we'll focus in, we'll start having profound thoughts. Whenever you, Have you ever started reading the Bible in your devotional time and you totally lose track because you're already thinking about what you're going to do that day? God wants you to stop doing that. He wants you to start living in the here and now and stop trying to multitask because the reality is you can't multitask. No human being can multitask. You have to do one thing at a time. One thing at a time. Let me tell you what. Step number one of what God is trying to do in your life, he's trying to get your attention. You're paying attention to too many things. Your phone, your phone. I was in church and my phone starts buzzing. I first, Unfortunately, I had the sound turned down. I felt it vibrating in my pocket. I pulled it out and looked at it right there in the middle of worship. Can you believe that? <laughs> Our attention is jumping around too much. God is trying to get your attention. Once I was walking my dog. This is an old dog, all right? I love this dog. But I'm not I'm still not a good pet owner, all right? But I had a dog and I'd walk him and he'd pull this way and then he'd pull this way and then he'd pull that way and he'd pull behind me. And I'm like, I wish this dumb dog would stay right here beside me and let me walk without getting yanked every which way. As I was kind of thinking bad thoughts towards my dog, the Lord reminded me, you're just like your dog. You're always pulling this way, pulling that way, pulling. And God was telling me, I wish you'd just stay here right here beside me and stop pulling every which direction. God wants to get your attention. Would you start looking to God instead of looking to all the other things, the worries, the plans that you guys have? We're all this way. God wants to get your attention. Would you start cooperating with him? That's the first step God wants to get in your life. If he doesn't get this first step, he's not going to take the second step. He's not going to take the third step, fourth step, or fifth step. you got to get figured out with step one first. But here's step number two. It's found in Isaiah 6, verse 5. Isaiah says, after he's seen the Lord high and exalted, his train is filled with the temple. The temple is full of smoke. What is Isaiah's reaction? He says, woe is me. 
I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here's step number two that God wants to do in your heart and in my heart. God wants you to understand where you stand in relation to him. Where you stand in relation to him. Did you know that some people think they're equals with God? Did you know that some people think they're above God? There's even some people that think God doesn't even exist. Where do you stand in relation to God? When Isaiah saw God, he was overcome by God's greatness and overcome by his littleness, by his weakness. When you see God, everything changes. Now, I, you talk to people and they say, well, I think of God as this thing. Or, I, you know, whenever I think of God, I th and God's saying, I don't care how you think about me. I am who I am. I am God Almighty. I'm God your Savior. I'm God your Master. I am God your Judge. I am God the one that loves you. I'm the God that has mercy on you. I am who I am. So stop trying to make up in your mind who you think God is. God is who he says he is. And if you want to know who God is, read the Bible and you'll find out exactly who God is. But Isaiah sees this and he sees God's holiness and he sees it's an eye-opening experience for him. Have you ever had an eye-opening experience where you thought one way and then you realized it wasn't that way and your life just kind of changed a little bit, maybe a lot? It was an eye-opening experience for him. Well, let me tell you what, in communist countries or in, in countries where there's a dictator, say like Venezuela, the government determines your context. They determine which values you need to have, which values are un unacceptable. And if you follow values that are unacceptable, that government will throw you in prison and they might put you to death. All right. They set the context of your life. Now here in the United States, things are a lot different. Instead, the government says, hey, you go ahead and set your own context. You go ahead and set your own values. What's good for me might be bad for you. But as long as we don't bump into each other too much, your life, live your life however you want to. You set your own context. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back for all of us who are just living life the way we think it should be lived? What's going to happen when we find ourselves in relation to God and we realize we're way off in left field and God was over here? Let me tell you what, stop living your life for yourself and start living your life for Jesus. And you're going to realize when you see him how far up he is, how awesome he is, how powerful he is, how loving he is, how caring he is. Don't live your life comparing yourself to the next person because if you do it, you'll feel, either feel better than they are or you'll feel less than they are. Stop comparing yourself to people and start comparing yourself to God as you stand right next to Jesus because Jesus wants to be your big brother <laughs> in a good sense. He wants to protect you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. And the closer you are to Jesus, the better off you are in life and the closer you are to God. Amen. So God wants you to see, wants you to see yourself in relation to him. How far away are you from God? Are you close to God? Or are you a long distance away from God? Ask yourself that question and stop comparing yourself to other people because it's going to do you no good. You know what? Without, 
without a true north, you know what a true north is? If you're headed in a certain direction, you need to follow something to stay on the right path. You need a true north. You need a context to live in. Otherwise, otherwise you're walking blindly. You might see, I might, I can see the light. I can see your faces, but I can be blind to God. Did you know that? My heart can be blind to God. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If, if, you, if, you, if you're blowing off God and you don't know who God is and you don't care who God is, you're blind. Did you know that? You're blind. And it says here, the God of this age, in other words, the devil has blinded you. So what is God's solution to spiritual blindness? If we're all blind, what is God's spiritual solution? Well, just two verses down in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displaying in the face of Jesus. Who do we need to be paying attention to? To Jesus. When we see Jesus, our eyes are opened and we're no longer blind and we can come closer and closer and closer to to, to God. God wants to open your spiritual eyes. Would you let him open your spiritual eyes? Would you stop being so distracted right now? Don't be distracted. Look at me. Everybody, let me get your eyes. Don't be distracted. Listen, God's trying to tell you something right now. Do you understand me? It's so easy in church, even right now. Your mind can be off in left field. Listen to what God is trying to tell you. Not what I'm trying to tell you, what God is trying to tell you. Here's step number three that God wants to do in your life in Isaiah 6, again in verse 5. I'm going to read it again. Isaiah sees, uh, sees the Lord high and exalted. He says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here's the second thing, third thing, excuse me, God wants to do in your life. He wants you to experience God's conviction for your sin. He wants you to experience conviction for your sin. What is conviction? What is conviction? Have you ever heard of someone saying he's an ex-convict? That's not the conviction that I'm talking about. Listen to the true definition of conviction. Conviction is this. It's the act of convincing someone to admit their wrongdoing. So if I had gone out there and I key a car, and I key the car, I'm just being mean, I'm being unruly, and I graffiti something, I go ahead and break a window. Somebody catches me, and let's say it's Brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy catches me. He gets a hold of my shirt, pulls me, says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Well, I'm keying this car. I'm just mad. I'm ticked off, and I'm trying to just ruin people's property. And Brother Jimmy convinces me that it's wrong, and he says, Steve, if you do these types of things, what if you were the business owner? What if you own this car? How would you feel if somebody was keying your car? How would you feel? And I would say, well, I wouldn't like it very much. And then he convinces me that I did something wrong. And then I say, you know what? You're right. I I shouldn't have done that. That's what conviction is. Now, Brother Jimmy isn't saying, you know what? You deserve to go to prison. I'm going to go call the authorities. I'm going to make sure the judge convicts you and puts you in prison. That's called condemnation. There's a difference between conviction 
and condemnation. Let me tell you, put it this way. I used to watch movies, all kinds of movies that I shouldn't watch, entertained with music and movies that I shouldn't have been watching, movies that had all kinds of foul language, had illicit sex in it, had undue violence, had all kinds of perversion in it. If I told you some of the movies that I watched, you'd say, Steve, what on earth were you doing? You know what happened, though? The Holy Spirit convicted me. And he began to show me, you don't need to watch those movies anymore. I remember when I was probably about 19, 20 years, 20 years old, I was driving in Dallas because that's where we used to live. And I was driving to UT Arlington. That's where I went to school. And I had the radio cranked with all kinds of secular music, non-Christian music. I was listening to it. And he was crazy. From one second to the next, my life changed. As I was listening to it, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, what you're listening to is not good. He convinced me to turn the radio off, and I stopped listening to that type of music from that point to the time that I am 50 year, 51 years old right now. He convicted me. He convinced me that that was not good for me, and I stopped doing it. That's what did God say? If you keep listening to that, to listen to that music and watch those movies, I'm going to condemn you to hell. Did God tell me that? No. He just convinced me, stop doing it. And I listened to him. I admitted that it wasn't good for me, and I stopped doing it. Isn't that neat? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm trying to tell you, step number three, God wants you to experience his conviction in your soul. And he takes us all at different steps. Some of you aren't ready to get rid of the music that you listen to, even though you should, all right? Some of you are not. You're not ready to get rid of the movies, but he's dealing with you about something. Listen to God about that something. Don't turn him off. Let him convince you. And remember, there's a difference between him convincing you and him condemning you. Let's look at some of these differences here. The difference between conviction of sin and condemnation for sin is, first of all, when he convicts you, he ex you expose yourself. You open your heart up and you say, God, this is the dirt that's inside of me. He's convincing you. He's convicting you. But he doesn't reach in, into you and say, all right, that's it. I'm through with you. I'm finished with you. That would be condemnation. He doesn't do that. Furthermore, conviction keeps you open to God so he can fix your problem. Condemnation closes you to God to where he'll never be able to fix you. What did Adam and Eve do? They were out there in the garden. They'd messed up. They'd eaten the wrong fruit, the fruit that God had told them not to eat. What did they do? They went and hid. They felt condemned, but he pulled them out. He asked them what went on. He exposed the sin, and then he clothed them. Isn't that good how God works? He doesn't condemn you, but he does convince you of what's wrong. So conviction keeps us focused on God instead of ourselves. When you're condemned, though, all you think about is, is what you did wrong, and that's very, very unproductive. So who, listen to this, this is interesting, who should you admit to when you've done something wrong? Who is it that you should go tell? Should you go tell your priest? Should you go tell your pastor? Or should you just go tell God? It's not necessary, listen to me very carefully, for you to get up here in front of everybody and admit to every wrong thought, every wrong deed, every wrong action that you've ever had. That would be very detrimental if you did that. I'm not going to tell you all the wrong thoughts that I've had, all the wrong things that I've done. 
No, because then that just put all that, that dirt in your mind. And I don't want to do that. When you have done something wrong, go to God directly and expose yourself to him and let him clean you out. Now, obviously, if you've, if you've hurt somebody and you've done them wrong, you need to go to them, right, and say, I'm super sorry I hurt you. I did do wrong. That's a different kind of situation. But you don't need to go unleash all the dirt in your life to someone else. God's covered it if you've asked for forgiveness. So why bring it up again? God has cleaned you out. Praise God. All right, so here, just talking of, speaking of conviction in John 16, verses 7 through 11, I challenge you to read these scriptures this week. John 16, verses 7 through 11 says, Nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus was talking to his disciples about his ascension into heaven. He says, For if, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. If Jesus hadn't been taken up, I would have never received the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's to your benefit that you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of three things. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, three things. And Jesus goes on to explain. He says, of sin, because you do not believe in me. <laughs> they do not believe in me, excuse me. And of righteousness, because I go to my Father, well, you will see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world stands judged, or he stands condemned. Who's condemned? The devil is condemned. Are you condemned? No, you're not. You're convicted of sin, but you're not condemned of sin yet. You, if you're lucky, if I'm lucky, we have 80 or 90 years on this globe for us to get right with God. And he's given you the opportunity right now to do that before it's too late. But the, but the devil, it's too late for the devil. He's already condemned. He's already judged and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Let's break this down, though. Conviction of sin. It's interesting that John, who wrote this book of the Bible, didn't name off a bunch of sin. He didn't name off lust. He didn't name off greed. He didn't name off anger or murder or bitterness. He just said, there's sin because they don't believe in me. Let me tell you what. Listen to this carefully. If you will start believing God, you will stop sinning. If you will start believing God, you will stop sinning. So stop fighting the sin that's in your life and start focusing on Jesus. And the sin is going to start getting taken care of. It'll still take your effort. You'll still have to have, have self-control. But it's going to be a lot easier for you to beat sin when you start believing God. Look at this. When Lot finally believed God that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, when he finally believed it, he left Sodom and Gomorrah. When he believed God that God was truly going to destroy these cities, he left. When you start believing God, you're going to leave your sin. Start believing God, and you're going to be free. Start believing God's truth. If God tells you something's true, believe it's true. If God tells you he's sovereign and in control, he is sovereign and in control. 
If, if God says he's full of grace, believe God's grace. Believe God's mercy. Believe God's love. Believe God's hope. Believe God's priorities. If he says to seek him first, then stop seeking all the other stuff. Believe God's appeal. If he's saying, be careful, then you need to be careful. He's not messing with you. He's not joking with you. The time is short. Believe God, and you're going to be free from your sin. But the second thing that he convicts us of, he convicts us of righteousness. And he does it in a very strange way because he's belief, I'm going to convict you of righteousness. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you of righteousness because I'm going away, and you aren't going to see me anymore. And I'm like, what does that mean? I've read this scripture for years, and I, I said, I'm like, I don't get it. What does righteousness have to do with Jesus going away? Well, let me tell you what. There's some powerful thoughts here that I want to share with you about that. What does righteousness have to do with Jesus going up into heaven to where we don't see him anymore? Let me tell you, here's one. Jesus goes to the only place where righteousness actually can be found. You want righteousness? It's not to be found anywhere here on earth. It's not found in your heart. You can't produce it. You can't manufacture it. Righteousness is only in heaven. And Jesus said, if you want righteousness, I've got to go to the Father first because that's where you're going to find righteousness. Have you ever felt dirty inside? Have you ever felt shame, filth inside? The only place you're going to find cleaning of your soul is comes from heaven. It comes from God. Stop trying to produce it yourself. Stop trying to earn God's favor yourself. It's a free gift. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father because that's where righteousness is, and that righteousness can be rained down on you if you'll just receive it for free. Here's a second thought about this righteousness and Jesus going up and being seen no more. Righteousness is something that can't be seen. Jesus was not going to be seen anymore. Stop thinking that righteousness is external. Righteousness is something that can only happen in your heart. Righteousness is not an act. It's, it's, it's an event. God gives you, he makes you righteousness. It, if you will just look to Jesus, you will be made righteous. Stop looking at yourself and start looking to him and you will be clean inside. Once and for all. Here's another. That's exactly right. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you, including a, a sense of cleanliness inside. Here's a third thought about Jesus going to heaven and righteousness. Jesus was proved righteous when he was received by his father. Now, hear me out really quick. These Pharisees said, Jesus, you're demon-possessed. That's why you can kick demons out of people. You're a child of Satan. That's what they were saying to him. They were blaspheming horribly. They said, you heal on the Sabbath. You're a bad person. You don't keep all our laws and requirements. You're not righteous. But you know what? Jesus was raised up to heaven, and you know who received him? God, his father, received him. You know why God, his father, received Jesus? Because Jesus was righteous, even though everybody else was saying that he wasn't. Have you ever been accused of something and said, you're no good? You're not going to amount to anything. Jesus is speaking a better word to you. He's speaking a better word to you. And if you will accept his righteous son, Jesus, you will be accepted by the father as well. 
Listen to this. Receive God's righteousness and God will receive you. Isn't that something? Receive the gift of righteousness and God is going to receive you. He's going to accept you. Look at this fourth item, this fourth thought. He went to the Father to mediate righteousness for us, to make it available. Why did Jesus have to go to heaven? If he hadn't gone to heaven, I couldn't have received righteousness from God. He is my best friend. Jesus is my best friend. Let me ask you a question. Why are you waiting so long to receive Jesus into your life? Why wait any longer? Why not do it right now? Why not? Don't defer it. Don't procrastinate anymore and say, Jesus, I want all of you in my life right now. You've gone to heaven to mediate, to make righteousness available to you. I'm going to take it right now. Can I tell you what something? Tell you something? Jesus is your priest. You don't need to go to the Catholic church for the priest. You don't need to come to an evangelical church to a pastor. Jesus is your priest. Go directly to him because he sits at the right hand of the Father. And let me tell you something. He's praying for you. Sometimes we go to each other and we say, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm challenged. I'm struggling right now. Did you know that you can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you pray for me right now? Isn't that a cool thought? He's your priest. He's your source of righteousness. And lastly, I'll tell you what. The Spirit convinces us, us of our necessity of Jesus' righteousness in order that we might be justified by God. You know what justification is? It's just as if you never did anything wrong. The justification that comes from God. The Spirit convinces us that our righteousness is not enough. And so we need God. Amen. So here's the other thing. He convinces or convicts us of judgment. Of judgment. Let, let me tell you something. The devil is on death row. The devil is on death row. If you had a friend or a relative or an acquaintance that was on death row, and every day you buzzed into the prison because you had permission, you went to that, to that death row cell, you sat in front of the death row cell, and all you received was abuse and condemnation from this person that you knew, telling you how bad you were and how awful you were and how you don't amount to anything. Your future is hopeless. What we, I'd have to ask you, what are you doing? Why are you going to this inmate on death row and, and receiving all this shame, shame upon yourself? Let me tell you what, we do this all the time with the devil. We listen to the devil who's on death row and he's condemning us when we should be turning around saying, you're the one that's condemned. You're the one that's judged. You're the one that's hopeless, not me. I still have an opportunity with Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He's the one that's judged, not you. He's been sentenced. You haven't been sentenced yet if you accept Jesus into your life. It's a different day. It's a new day for you. So stop listening to him who's been condemned and start listening to him who's trying to save you. Praise God. So let's move on here. Just a few more minutes. What does spiritual conviction look like? Well, in Acts 2, verse 37, Peter speaks to all these people after he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks to all these people, and these people hear him, and the Bible says they were cut to the heart. 
Have you ever come to church and been cut to the heart, <laughs> convicted? You feel like, oh my word, I, I have been doing wrong. I need to get, I need to get fixed. Well, these people were cut to the heart and they asked the apostles, they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent. And I tell you that this morning, if you're cut to the heart by what I'm saying, repent, expose yourself to the Lord, be transparent to the Lord, and he's going to save you. He's going to transform you. He's going to rescue you. That conviction opens the door to God, and through, through repentance, you're justified, just as if you've never done anything wrong. Here's step number four in Isaiah 6, verse 6 now. It says, Then one of the seraphim, one of those angels in Isaiah's vision, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. What does that mean? Here's the fourth step that God wants to take in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to change you. You say, but I don't want to be changed. Well, that's the problem. God wants to change you. He wants to make you into a forgiving person. He wants to make you into a pure person. He wants to make you into a happy person. He wants to make you into a confident person. God wants to change you. Would you allow him to begin to change you? Here's the problem. Whenever we admit, I need, I need to be changed, you start thinking about tomorrow and you start thinking, well, if I change, then I got to do this different. I got to do that different. I got to do the other thing different. And God's nodding his head. Yes, you will. But I'm going to help you do it. You're not going to be on your own. I'm going to help you change. You don't have to do it by yourself. How does God change us? Well, he takes the old part of us away, the bad part of us away, and he puts a new person in you. He makes you into a different person. Now, I'm bald, but I'm still going to be bald. Even after he's changed my heart, he's not going to give me more hair. He's going to change my person, my internal, my internal self. I might look like the same person, but inside I'm going to be a different person because God changes people. That's what he's in the business of doing. He's in the business of changing people and making us better. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, by the way, you got to get in Christ to change. You can't do it on your, by yourself. If they're in Christ, they're a new creation. A new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. How many of you with a raised hand can say, God has changed me at least a little? At least a little. God has changed me at least a little. I, want, I have a ways to go, but I'm at least a little bit different from what I used to be. Well, look, look at what he's done. That's a sign of what he wants to do, continue to do in you. Praise God. You can do it with God's help. Does it happen overnight? Sometimes it does. There's a, like that, that music change in me, that was overnight. That was from one second to the next, I changed the music that I listened to. Other things, not so quickly. My foul mouth, using foul language, that's taken a long time for God to change me. But praise God, he's changing me, right? He's changing my, the way I talk, the way that I am, the way that I, that I, I act, Little by little, some things are quick, some things are fast. But what do we have to do? <laughs> Ultimately, uh, we have to work with God. Look at this in, in Ezekiel 36, 26. 
God says, through Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Yeah, me too, girl. Yeah, we need a new heart. God changes our heart. What does it mean for God to change our hearts? He gives us, he gives us, an, he gives us new desires. That's right. He gives us new desires. Think about what you used to want before, and what do you want now? What do you want now? What do you want now? Is it different? Amen. Listen, listen. Just listen real carefully. God changes your desires. What I used to want is not what I want now. And I praise God for that change. All right, so listen. What part do you play when God starts trying to change you? Do you play a part in the change? You sure do. You sure do. There's three things that you need to do. First of all, you need to let God change you. Let him. If he's trying to change you, let him change you. Don't keep going down the same path you've gone through, gone down before. Let him change your heart. Here's number two. Get up when you fail. Have you failed before? Have you failed at something a hundred times? Have you failed at something a thousand times? I have. <laughs> I've failed a thousand times. You know what the difference is? I got back up again. Can you get up? Can you get up again? Don't stay down. Get back up. That's number two. Here's the number three thing. Don't ever give up. If God is going to change you, don't ever give up. You know why? Because he's not giving up. You don't give up either. If God doesn't give up, you don't give up. And that's why in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up, let me tell you what, there are Christians who've given up, they've died, and they haven't ended up in heaven because they gave up. Are you going to be one of the people that gives up? Are you? Think about it. Are you going to give up? Are you going to say, no, 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 I am not going to give up. I'm going to press forward until the last breathing moment of my life. Don't give up. Here's the fifth and final step that God wants to take in your life. In Isaiah 6, verse 8, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, I'll go. <laughs> That's right, I'll go. And God says, Go and tell this people. And he gives Isaiah a message. Go and tell this people. Let me tell you about four times when God called me. This is the fifth thing that God wants to do in your life. He wants to call you, and he wants to appoint you to a lifelong, unique mission and purpose. Did you hear me? He wants to call you. Hold on. Hey, sister, hold on. We'll talk after. You, you stay tight. You're good. Hey, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. God has called you to a particular purpose in your life. Amen. He's called you to a particular purpose in your life. You you've got you got a call in your you've got a destiny in your life. And don't get distracted from that destiny. Stop chasing the things that you want and start chasing the things that God wants. All right. So listen to this. I want to give you four times I'll never forget when God called me. The first time, the first time was when I was 16 years old. 
I was 16 years old. I was laying in bed. I wasn't serving the Lord, all right? And I was laying on in my bed, and for some reason that night, I decided to put my headphones on and listen to some Christian music. And as I listened to the Christian music, I felt the Holy Spirit's presence all over me. And I started to cry because I hadn't been serving the Lord. I was dry inside. Have you ever felt dry inside? I was dry inside. I was talking to the Lord for the first time probably in months. I was listening to music, and God called me at that point in time. And you know what I did to that call? I said, no, not yet. Have you ever done that before? God calls you, and you say, I'm not quite ready yet. Now, I discourage you from doing that because tomorrow isn't promised to any one of us. <laughs> we could be gone tomorrow. When God calls you, I encourage you to say, yes, Lord, right here, right now, just like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. <laughs> I'll do it, God. So I was 16. When I was 19, just three years later, I felt impressed. You know what? I want to get close to God. And I've told you this story before. I decided for two weeks I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes every day for two weeks. And after those two weeks, I wasn't the same person I had been before. I was changed from, my parents can, can confirm that. I was changed from night to day. I was changed from shyness to, to I want to do something from God. I was changed from being ashamed of the gospel to going down the strip and talking to people on Friday night and, and trying to convince them to give their heart to Jesus. From one day to the next, he called me, and I responded. The third time that I'll tell you, I was 26 years old. I was driving down Fred Wilson. I was about to turn on to 54, and something came on me. I, I was two years into my career. I had already graduated from college. I was already working, and I started bawling my head off. I, was, I could hardly drive. There was a stoplight. I almost ran it, and I felt the Holy Spirit on me so strong, and his call so strong in my life. I said, God, I'll quit my job today and do whatever you tell me to do. I was so ready to do what God was telling me to do, but you know what God told me at that time? He said, wait, keep your job, keep working. I have a plan for you. I have a call in your life. God wants to call you. He wants to give you a mission. He wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you something to live for. But when I was 46, I'll tell you where I was. This is a funny one. 46 years old, about five years ago, I was over by Concordia Cemetery, walking up and down. When you drive up 54 and you're turning on to I-10 and you look down on Concordia Cemetery, I was right there at the corner. And that's where I was praying during my lunch break <laughs> by the cemetery. Isn't that funny? I was walking up and down there praying. And I remember stopping and looking up at the mountain and the Lord telling me, I've called you to pastor your dad's church. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't think I wanted to. But God called me. And you know what? When God calls you, he makes you want to do what he wants you to do. He gives you the desire. And actually, at that time, I said, yes, God, whatever you want. And you want six months later, my dad calls me and says, hey, I think it's about time for, you, for us to switch roles. God wants to call you. He wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you a specific mission, a specific 
purpose, a unique way of doing things. We're not all cookie cutters, all right? The way Berman and I do things are maybe totally different. And the way Jesse does things, God wants you to be you. He wants you to be unique. And he has a unique calling for you to fulfill for him. That's why he called Abraham the way that he did in in, uh, Genesis 12. And I'm almost done here. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country to from your people, from your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a nation. He didn't say I'm going to make you into a pastor, into an evangelist, into a prophet, into a teacher. He said, no, I'm going to make you into a nation. Some of you are called to be attorneys. Some of you are called to be humanitarian uh, in, in, in what you do. Some of you are called to be business people. Some of you are called to be politicians. Don't think that God has limited you in what he has for you. What he has for you is very unique, very wonderful, very exciting. Here Abraham is called to be the father of a nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you into blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham went. He went. When God calls you, go. And he will show you what to do on the way. Let's look at these five steps that God wants to take in your life. He wants to get your attention. He wants to help you understand where you are in relationship to him. He wants you to experience conviction of your sin. He wants you to become a changed person, and he wants you to hear his call. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Lord Jesus, Lord, you want to you fulfill these five steps in our lives, Lord Jesus. God, you're waving a flag in front of our face trying to get our attention. Lord, help us to stop being so distracted. Lord, we can focus our minds and pay attention to you if we will simply try. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you want to get a hold of our lives. Get Get a hold of our imaginations, our attention, Lord, so that we stop thinking about all these other things and fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord God, you want to help us understand you are God. You are holy. You are powerful. You are mighty. We are simple humans. Yes, we're your children, thank goodness, but we're humans. You are God. We need to pay attention to God Almighty. Get as close to God as we possibly can through your son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You want to experience, you want us to experience conviction of our sins. In other words, to convince us that, yes, there are things that we're not doing that are wrong. Lord God, you want us to believe you, Heavenly Father. Lord, and you want us, Lord, to become a changed person not the same person we were yesterday, but to become a new person in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord God, you want us to hear your call, hear your, your unique mission, our de- the destiny that you have in place for us. Even before we-